Jüngeros, what's going on? You guys doing good? We good? Really good over there. There we go. That's I'm going to preach to like you four people like all night tonight. That is awesome. Um, hey, my name is Connor. Um, if you've never been here before, I know Andrew uh, asked before, but real quick, just so I can get a view. Um, first time here? Anybody first time guest? Give it up for the first time guest. Hey, as you're taking a seat, turn to your neighbor, give him a hug, a high five, a handshake, a kiss. Only if it's appropriate, we have security watching. I'm going to run that joke into the ground, just so you guys know. Like I said, my name's Connor. I'm one of the teaching pastors, and I run our incredible volunteers. Give it up for the volunteers that make this whole thing happen. Hey, I know we've got a couple of people that it's their very first time tonight, and I just want to uh, let you know that you belong here, even if you don't necessarily believe everything that we believe. I know I kind of give the same spiel every single week, but that's because new people keep on coming, so that's amazing. Um, hey, the only thing you have to do to belong here is walk through our doors. You don't have to believe everything to belong here, but I'm just gonna be upfront with you so nothing catches you off guard. This whole night is orchestrated around this person named Jesus. I'm gonna talk about Jesus. Jesus has transformed my life. He's my best friend, he's my Lord, he's my savior, he's rescued me. Jesus is incredible. After we're gonna to continue to sing about Jesus, and so I'm well aware that there might be a lot of people in this room that might not necessarily view Jesus the way that I view Jesus, and that's okay. But here's my challenge for you, maybe just for tonight. Just for tonight, open up your mind and open up your heart to the possibility. What if this message is true? What if Jesus is who he said he is? What if Jesus is Lord? What if Jesus is King? And better yet, what if Jesus actually loves me the way that I am, broken, knowing that I can't fix myself, but he's actually the one that wants to come and fix me? Tonight, I just wanna challenge you. Again, you don't have to believe everything to belong, but if you don't believe quite yet, open up your heart and open up your mind to the possibility that maybe God wants to speak to you tonight. And so I know Andrew was talking about it earlier. Even if it is your first time, you have picked an incredible night to come because it is the last young adults of the year. Give it up. But hey, check this out. It is not only the last young adults of the year. We are closing out a decade. It is 10 years of young adults. If you do not know, Young Adults started in 2010. We got some pictures coming up that's gonna be up on the side screen in a minute. There we go. Started in a little theme park in uh, Golden, Colorado. And then just through the path, through the 10 years, started with a group of like 30 people. And then God just continued to grow this place and reach more people. And listen, it wasn't because of talent. It wasn't because of gifts. It was because Jesus. And we had the meetup. We had our retreats. We had our red conferences. And we have seen this thing grow from 30 people on a random night to over a thousand people on any given night at any given event. Can we give it up for what God can do? and the lives of people that just say, Jesus, move in my life. And here's the thing. 
I believe that 2020, we are gonna see not just another year, but another decade of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. We're gonna see his love, his mercy, and his grace continue on from year to year, generation to generation. And so if you thought things were cooking now, we are just getting started. The best is yet to come. There is greater ahead in 2020. Do you believe that? Can you give God one more shout for what he's got in store for your life? Hey, well, I believe 2020 is going to be awesome. I believe that there's one more night in 2019 that God wants to meet with a group of people on a Thursday night in this room. I believe that God's got a word for tonight. I believe God's put this word on my heart, and I am excited and honored to share this, not even as your pastor, but just as a friend, as somebody that's part of this community with you that's, that's uh, spending my life just chasing after Jesus and trying to be more like him. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Anybody got their Bible? They bring old school leather Bible. Anybody imitation leather? Better for the environment. Any vegans, vegan Bibles? Are those even a thing? Hey, if you don't have a Bible, that'll be on the back screen here. We're going to go to Luke 1 and Luke 2. Quick recap. Last week, we kicked off a new two-part series called The Lineage of Grace, where we're looking at the lineage of Jesus and seeing how it just shows us more about him, more about his goodness and his love. And last week, Andrew kicked it off by talking about the imperfect people that we find in the lineage of Jesus. I mean, there, there were liars, there, there were murderers, there were prostitutes. Ironically, a lot of prostitutes. I don't know why, but there, there's a lot of broken people in Jesus's lineage, and it shows not only what Jesus came to accomplish, but who Jesus came for, and that if anyone, if Jesus, the perfect Savior, can have broken, hurt people in his family tree, that just means the family is open for anyone. There's room for everyone at God's table, and so tonight, I want to kind of continue the, the, this conversation of the lineage of grace. And I actually want to look at something that we all might find relatively familiar. But hopefully I can challenge your thinking on this point a little bit. I want to talk about the gospel tonight. I want to talk about the gospel, the term gospel, the phrase gospel, the words that where we get gospel. And I actually want to talk about how it's connected to the royal lineage of Jesus. Jesus had some kings in his lineage. And I want to talk about how this idea and this concept of gospel is tied to the royal lineage of Jesus. So if we're going to jump in real quick. Luke chapter one, we're going to start in verse 26. And it says this, it says, in the sixth month of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, King David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her, and he was like, Greetings, you who are highly favored of the Lord. The Lord is with you. But Mary, as any other human would be if an angel showed up and, told, and talked to them, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wonders what kind of greeting it might be. The angel said to her, Girl, chill, do not be afraid. I got you. You found favor with God. You're going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus, and he will be great and be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. 
In Luke chapter two, we're going to jump in in verse eight. Uh, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over flocks at night. And an angel, maybe the same one, who knows, appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around him, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, hey, don't be afraid because I bring you good news. I bring you a gospel that will cause great joy. And I love this, not just for religious people, not just for people that have it all together. I bring you good news for all people. All have a place at the table of God. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's, he is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. If you are taking notes and you like titles, and again, just as a pastor, always wanna remind you guys, because I love you, bigger house, bigger yard in heaven if you take notes. The title of my message tonight is this, there's more to this story. There's more to this story. Can we pray? And I'm going to jump in. Father God, what an honor it is to come before you tonight and to talk about Jesus. God, to talk about the person that can transform lives in an instant, in a moment. God, I pray that tonight, through all the lights, all the smoke, all the amazing, incredible production value, you just cut through it all so that we can see Jesus more clearly. God, tonight's a waste if we don't get a revelation of who Jesus is, but if we get a revelation of who Jesus is, we can be changed forever. And that's what we've come here for tonight. Holy Spirit, speak to us. And God, if anybody in this room tonight is struggling with this thought of this miraculous birth, this virgin birth of Jesus, if, if they're finding it hard to believe in miracles, God, the Broncos have won the past two games. That is a miracle. That's proof miracles still exist. So God, we give you the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen and amen. Go Broncos, right? What are they, 2 and 14 this year? Yes. I'm kidding. I'm a Vikings fan. They're God's team. So give me some, cut me some slack. Question for you. Have you ever had an idea of something or a thought of something? You think you know what to expect. You have this idea of something that's going to happen, but when you get there or you experience this thing, it is so much better than you remember or that you've experienced before. Has anybody ever had that? You kind of go into a situation, maybe you've gone to this place before, you've gone to this game before, you have this idea of what it's going to be about, but when you get there, it is so much better than you could have ever imagined. Last year, this happened to my wife at a Taylor Swift concert. Now, I don't say this lightly. Taylor Swift is my wife's second love in our life. She is potentially Taylor Swift's biggest fan. And I know that there's girls in this room right now that's like, if you only knew the nights that I cried myself to sleep with my diary, listening to 15 by Taylor Swift. Someone tells you they love you and you believe them? Like, you're only 15. No, my wife is obsessed with Taylor Swift. It is actually so much so that not only was it the number one artist on her Spotify, not Christian artist, just saying it was Taylor Swift. You know how Spotify did that like, you know, find your top five things or whatever at the end of the year? Taylor Swift was my, like in my top five. And I don't listen to Taylor Swift. I don't really even like Taylor Swift that much. But Taylor Swift, my wife is obsessed. Do you guys remember when I, it was either Netflix or Amazon, that like documentary concert of Taylor Swift came out? 
I'm not kidding. I have pictures. I should have put them up um, to embarrass my wife because that's what an incredible husband I am. But when it came out, like she stood like two feet from the TV and was just singing along and like dancing and like she had like all the moves down and like, you know, like the Taylor walk and stuff. And she, like my wife, and she's like watched it like 30 times, loves Taylor Swift. But last summer, Taylor Swift did a concert at Mile High Stadium in downtown Denver. Now, I, like any normal guy, was chilling with the boys that night. I also just want to point out, your pastor, Andrew Matrone, was at the Taylor Swift concert <laughs> while the rest of the boys were all hanging out, but I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, just saying he was there. But my wife, to her credit, being the biggest Taylor Swift fan in the world, she has been to every single Taylor Swift concert that has been in Denver. Hasn't missed a single one. And so she kind of knows what to expect at a Taylor Swift concert. She's been there. She knows how it goes. She's probably going to cry. She's going to sing along. Like, she knows what to expect at a Taylor Swift concert. But last summer, she went with one of her best friends, Whitney, who has this just this incredible ability to always get down to the front of any event or, like, get backstage or just, like, whatever. And so there was a moment where I guess they were sitting in this aisle section and Taylor Swift walked by and my wife like grabbed her hand and they made eye contact and she just started freaking out. And if you think I'm lying, I have video proof. Check this out. <laughs> she literally like sent me that video immediately after it happened and she was like you can't even imagine like you have no idea what just happened like I touched Taylor Swift and like I remember she gets back and she's like babe I'm not kidding you that might have been the best night of my entire life <laughs> and as your husband who has spent many nights with you I'm like thank you for just piling on more insecurity Freaking Taylor Swift, like, I love you, I pursue you, I pay dates for you, like, I try to provide, and it takes one time of touching Taylor Swift's hand, and I just know where I fall in line with that, right? <laughs> she knew what to expect, but something happened, and it was so much more this time than she initially anticipated. Can I share one more story with you? I don't care what you think I'm going to anyway. All right, in middle school. Uh, my family and I did this big out west trip. We're from the East Coast, East Coast, best coast. I know that doesn't rhyme, but it's true. Um, we're from the East Coast, and my parents, they're both teachers, and so they had the summers off, and they were like, hey, I want to take our kids, our family, um, to see like all the great things that the West and the Midwest or whatever have to offer, and so we made this month-long plan in like the month of July where we went and we did Mount Rushmore, we did Rocky Mountain National Park, we did Yellowstone, we did like all those things, and we, we honestly, we had like hikes planned out, we mapped out uh, camping locations, like any Anything we thought Midwestern folks did for fun, like we tried to do that. That was supposed to be a stab at the Midwest. All right, never mind. But I remember 
we were heading towards Colorado, and my mom, um, she was like, hey, there's something really fun that I want to do with you guys when we get into Colorado. She's like, when I was a little kid, my family kind of did the same type of trip, and so it's really cool for me as an adult to sort of be reliving all these moments that I had as a kid, but there's this Mexican restaurant in Colorado. Everybody knows already. She's like, there's this Mexican restaurant in Colorado I really want to take you to because I remember as a kid going to that, and it was just really fun, really cool. Now, I'm in seventh grade at this point. I've been to a Mexican restaurant or two. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I know my way around a Mexican restaurant. And I'm like, cool, I'm glad my mom is pumped to go to this Mexican restaurant. Like, but I'm sure I know what to expect. Like, my family will roll in and we'll get a basket of chips, some salsa for feeling fancy, maybe some queso or guacamole because it's good. Me being a Mexican food connoisseur, marrying a Mexican woman, I know I'm like, hey, Maybe tonight some enchiladas, maybe tonight like a burrito, some tacos, I don't know. But like, I, I know my way around the Mexican restaurant scene, so to say, even as a seventh grader. But we, I, remember, I remember in Colorado driving in, pulling up, and I see this water fountain. And it's just like, you know, like flowing with water. I see this like bright pink, like, I don't know, like bell tower looking thing, and and, and this like light blue writing, which whoever picked out the color palette for that, man, killing the game. But just in these big words, Casa Bonita. And I remember as a kid walking in and, and opening the door and being like, oh my gosh, like what is this place? Calling Casa Bonita a Mexican restaurant is like calling Michael Jordan a basketball player. Like... Is Casa Bonita a Mexican restaurant? Like, technically, like, kind of, I guess. But, like, there is so much more. When you open the door and you walk in, it looks like you step into this little, like, Mexican oasis village that MTV has thrown spring break in, like, for 25 years in a row. There's, like, confetti and balloons and, like, flyers everywhere. Like, there's gorillas running around multiple mariachi bands, there's palm trees and waterfalls and, and people jumping off like cliffs. Like, is Casa Bonita a Mexican restaurant? Like, yes, but it's so much more than a Mexican restaurant. And just like, I don't know, side note, this wasn't in my notes, but my sister, uh, she, she lives in D.C., works, works for the government, and she came out recently to visit, and my wife and I were like, hey, we want to take you to dinner. Where do you want to go? And she's like, I want to go to Casa Bonita. I remember going as a kid, and it's going to be amazing. And I'm like, Liv, it's not what you remember. Like, <laughs> I promise. Like, when you're, when you're six or seven, you're like, this is heaven. And then, like, you go as an adult, and you're like, what? what? Like, what is this place? Like, I don't know where that, that, that has nothing to do with. <laughs> but if you let me make this connection, I'm going to try to bring it back around here. Here we go. Just like Casa Bonita is a Mexican restaurant, but it's so much more. It's just a terrible transition. Forget, <laughs> forgive this. Just look past it. Jesus, do your work. Right. Oh, I think sometimes as Christians, I got to keep on going. Here we go. I think sometimes as Christians, we can treat the same, we can treat the gospel the same way we treat Casa Bonita or, or Casa Bonita or, or my wife with Taylor Swift. When we hear this term gospel, we're like, gospel, yeah, I know 
I know the gospel. Like, I know, I know about the gospel. It's, it's the gospel. Like, it's, it's basic, right? It's foundational. It's, 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 it's the gospel. But what if I told you tonight that even with the gospel, there's more to the story than you might have ever imagined? And I believe until we begin to realize the more that's held within the gospel, we won't really be able to fully wrap our minds around how amazing the person of Jesus actually is, what he did for us, and what he is still doing in this world right now. And so, like most of us in here, when you hear the word gospel, what comes to your mind? Probably something along these lines. Jesus came to the world to save me and forgive me of my sins, right? Jesus came into the world to save and to forgive me of my sins. And can I be the very first and the loudest proponent to say yes and amen? That is 100% true. That is one of the most amazing statements in the entire world. That is one of the most foundational principles of the gospel that Jesus came to save lost and broken and hurt hurting people. Yes, yes, and yes. That is foundational to the gospel, and that is one of the most, probably the most important news that we could ever get out to a lost, broken, and hurting world. But here is my point. The gospel doesn't just end there. There's more to discover. And so, I don't know, any CCU students in here? Any like theology, Bible degree, anybody like that? All right, we, us two, we are gonna nerd out here for like 10 seconds, okay? Here we go. We're gonna look at the term gospel, okay? The original word, or the original words that we get this term gospel from literally translates to this, good news. I'm sure that's not, you know, crazy to anybody. It's the word basir, besara in the Old Testament, or euvangelion or gelion, I'm not sure. I'm not Greek. And so um, in the Greek New Testament. But in, in all of these words in some way, shape, or form translate to this broad idea of good news. But it's different than, hey, I got A's on all of my finals. Anybody got faith that they got A's on all their finals? Come on, wow, you guys are terrible students. <laughs> or it's different news than, hey, after like four years of unwanted celibacy, I finally got a date. Like, it's different than like, it's different than that kind of news. The context of the gospel. Let's bring it back around. Sex, like, you know, like everybody laughs. Like. The context of the gospel, most often in the Bible, refers to important events regarding a ruler and the ruler's kingdom. So this word gospel, these words in the Old Testament, the Hebrew words used, would be understood more accurately, not just good news, but more accurately, a royal proclamation of good news. It was good news concerning a king or something that happened within the kingdom. So in the Old Testament, when we hear good news, it's a royal proclamation going out about good news about a ruler or their kingdom. In the New Testament, the word used most often refers to good news about the kingdom of God. Good news about the kingdom of God. In other words, gospel, this is a royal term re uh, reporting good news about a king, a ruler, and the kingdom or the area that they occupy. 
It is good news concerning uh, some type of leader in their kingdom. So for example, in the Old Testament, in the lineage of Jesus, we can trace his ancestry back to one of the most famous Bible characters in the entire book. King David. Most of us are familiar with King David. David was a shepherd who was overlooked by his father and his brothers. He was anointed to be the future king by the prophet Samuel. He killed uh, Goliath with a sling. A lot of us know that story. And then David served under a mad king, King Saul, who wanted to kill him until David eventually took over the throne. Now, when Saul passed away and David ascended to the throne of Israel, a gospel would have gone out to the nation saying, hey, there's good news. David is now king over Israel and the kingdom of David is going to rule and going to reign. And everyone under that kingdom is going to be affected by the choices that the king makes and the rules and the law of the land. So when David gets to the throne, when a king would ascend to the throne, a gospel would go out to the nations. Good news about this ruler and this king. And in the kingdom of David, it was characterized by a king who had a heart after God. And so a priority of the gospel of the kingdom of David, so to say, would be that people would search after God because the Bible said that David was a man after God's own heart. But, but, but sometimes the, the, the rule and the law of a king had, had, ne- had negative effects. David was a conqueror. David was a ruler. And so part of, of, of the stretch of his kingdom, of the news of David, would have been that David is a conqueror. And if you're in the army, you're going to have to fight and you're going to have to win battles and you might lose your life. But this is all a part of the kingdom of David and would have been considered part of the good news of David's leadership. Now, when David would have passed away, there was another king within the lineage of Jesus. His name was Solomon. Now, Solomon is said to have been one of the wisest humans to have ever lived and one of the wealthiest humans to have ever lived. But when David would have passed away and Solomon would have ascended to the throne, a gospel about Solomon would have gone out to all the kingdom and it would have said this, hey, while David was an amazing king, David has passed away and his son Solomon has ascended to the throne. There is a new king here. And since David has passed away, the ways of David and the rules of David have passed away with him. And now Solomon is in place as king and the rules of Solomon and the kingdom of Solomon is now how we govern our nation. The news of Solomon would have gone out to everyone and every person in the kingdom would have been affected by this gospel, this news that Solomon had ascended to the throne and that the way that he ruled and reigned affected everyone. And with Solomon, he was one of the wisest and wealthiest people. So the people of Israel at that time, they were governed by wisdom and they were governed by by prosperity. They had things that they needed. And I want you to see in this moment that this word gospel, this good news that we so often talk about, it is, a, it is an announcement of a king and his kingdom being established. And so the natural question, because as I said earlier when we first came in, everything about tonight is all about Jesus. So the the natural next question to ask is, well, what does this mean for Jesus? What does this tell us 
about Jesus. Because when we hear gospel, we think savior. We think I'm a sinner, I need saved, and that is what the gospel is. And like I said, yes, absolutely. But what this means is not only was God sending a savior, not only was God sending someone to pay the price for our sin that we could not pay on our own, not only was God sending somebody to bridge any gap that would keep us from experiencing a full relationship with God, God was sending a king. He was sending a ruler. He was establishing back his kingdom on this earth, and he had plans to take his kingdom from his king and put it in the hearts of anyone who would believe and let it saturate and seep out into the world. When God sent Jesus, he was sending a king. And listen, this is not new. The people, when we hear words Messiah and Lord, I think we've over-spiritualized them because we don't live in a government that has a king. But the word Messiah, in this context, in these people's mind, we think Savior for our sin. But Messiah, in that time, in that day, people would have understood a Savior as well as a King. So when in all these scriptures, when they say the Messiah is coming, they're saying a Savior and a King is coming for us. When we hear these, these prophecies of Jesus being Lord, it, it, that is a royal term. That This idea of Jesus as King is written everywhere if you just know how to see it and what to look for. And this concept, like I said, it is just scattered all throughout the Old and New Testament. I'm just going to read one, but this is one of the most um, distinct and, and obvious prophecies about Jesus being a king and establishing a kingdom. It comes out of Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. It's not going to be on the board, so just listen up. It says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And get this, this is royal talk. The government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government, his kingdom, and his peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne, his royal lineage. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that moment on and forever. Listen, the gospel is not only about Jesus coming to save us. The gospel is about Jesus coming to establish himself as king and to establish the rule and the reign of God on earth as it is in heaven until he comes back and every tongue confesses and every knee bows that Jesus is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. There is so much more to the gospel than we might have ever thought. The gospel is this royal announcement of Jesus as king and establishing a kingdom of peace where there might be anxiety or, or turmoil. It's Jesus establishing this kingdom of, of healing where there might be sickness, where there might be disease, or maybe it's a healing in your heart that needs to take place. The kingdom of God, when it's established, healings take place. People start, people start to recover from not only spiritual things, but physical ailments, physical illnesses. God's kingdom is a healing kingdom, and it is a kingdom that reigns with justice and righteousness. That's why we're so passionate when we talk about racism. I know that might bug some people, but God 
God is a just God who rules with righteousness. God is against racism. This, this isn't some political thing. This is a kingdom of God principle. His kingdom comes with him. And it is invading earth right now, even as I speak. And it's taking ground through the hearts of every single person who calls on the name of Jesus. Now listen, if this is true, if the gospel is not only about Jesus coming to save, but Jesus coming declared as king, declared as ruler of the universe, this should change how we understand this amazing news about Jesus when we read it. This should change the way we read our Bibles or read our scripture in our quiet time. With this thought of this, this royal announcement in mind, I want to go back and I want to look at the scriptures that, that I read earlier in Luke 1 and Luke 2, and this will be up on the screen. But think about this. Normally when we read this Christmas story, it's Christmas time, we think about little baby Jesus coming in a manger. What is it? Six pounds, four ounce baby Jesus and coming in this manger, coming to save us one day when he all grows up. But the good news that the angel is declaring that there's, there's more than a baby being born. There's more than a savior. There's a king coming in your midst. And he's coming to give his life for anyone and everyone. And he's establishing his rule and his reign right now. Luke chapter 1. This is the angel um, talking to Mary. He says this, Mary, he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will what? Give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his what? His kingdom will never end. Who has a kingdom? A king. He's saying, Mary, you are going to give birth to a king and his kingdom will know no end. Luke chapter two, the angels talking to the shepherds, they say this, do not be afraid. I bring you Good news. What do we say is good news? They're saying, I bring you the gospel. I bring you a royal announcement in the city of David. It will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior is born to you. And he will be what? The Messiah, the savior king. And he will be Lord. He will be royal. When these people heard this angel's announcement for good news, the angel was declaring, hey, I have an announcement to make. There is good news. This is a royal announcement. The king has arrived on scene. The king is here. And get this, when there is a new king, that kingdom takes over, which means the kingdom of the old ways of doing things is fading. The kingdom of earth is fading. The rules and the ways that we, that, that we operate of sin and death and destruction is fading. And God is establishing his kingdom now and forevermore. Jesus is king. Man, you guys can make your way on up. I was thinking about this concept of the gospel. Listen, this is the gospel that Jesus is our savior and our king. Jesus is everything to us. Jesus is amazing. It is all because of Jesus. This is not about feeling better. This is not about self-help. Self-help cannot help you nearly as much, if at all, except for Jesus steps into the scene and changes everything. It is all about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. It will be about Jesus saving you. It'll be about Jesus leading you. It'll be about Jesus being the Lord over your life. It is all about Jesus. I love Jesus, and I love this. Listen, King Herod 
When Jesus was born, these wise men who read the stars went and said, hey, a king is born. Where is he? And King Herod at the time, the king, when Jesus was a baby, couldn't handle it. He was filled with anger and jealousy. And he said, I got to kill these people off so that no king rises up and takes my place. But King Herod couldn't kill him. When Jesus was growing up, he was around 30. The devil came and started tempting him, but the devil couldn't get him with temptation. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they couldn't deny the truth that he was speaking. And even on the night of his betrayal, Pontius Pilate could find no guilt in him. And even in his death, in an attempt to mock and humiliate him, soldiers took a crown, but it wasn't a crown of gold that Jesus deserved. It was a crown of thorns and they twisted it and they shoved it on his head and they took a robe, a purple robe, a royal robe, and they draped it around him and they gave him a scepter and they slapped him and they spit on him. And the Bible says they bowed their knee and said, all hail the king, king of the Jews making fun of him as they knew he was about to go face one of the most brutal deaths a human could ever face. But what they didn't realize as they put a crown on his head and a robe around his shoulders and a scepter in his hand, they were announcing the news that the king has arrived and it might not be the way we thought. He might not be coming the way we anticipated, but the king is here and they're witnessing the king. And Jesus, king of the world, is raised up not on the throne, but on a cross and he dies a death so that he can reconcile his enemies back to God. But God's love is stronger than the grave and it couldn't hold him down. And in three days, Jesus is raised back to life forevermore to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords reigning until the day he returns to bring his people back to him. Young adults, this is the good news that Jesus loves you, that he wants to save you, but he wants to invite you into this kingdom where peace reigns over anxiety, where victory reigns over defeat, where life conquers death, where love conquers all. The invitation to enter into the kingdom of God is available for anyone and everyone who would call on the name of Jesus. There's so much more than we could have ever imagined. Young adults, would you stand? As we close out this year, man, where's your expectation? You serve a good God. You serve a mighty king. You serve a strong, conquering king. I remember reading uh, one of these uh, scholars, these commentaries, and they said this, and I loved it. How the kingdom of God is established on earth. It's its birth inside the heart of the believers. And it's believers' job to take this invisible kingdom and make it visible to those who don't believe by showing love when there should be hate, by showing mercy when there should be judgment, by showing grace when there shouldn't be grace. And I think more than anything tonight, I think God has so much more that he wants for your life. I think, I think God has so much in store. And, and here's, here's my thought. God's kingdom is here. Jesus is here. The Bible says when two or more are gathered, he's in the room. Jesus is in the room. His kingdom is here. It's invading earth. But there are so many Christians that believe in Jesus as a savior, but they don't get to experience the benefits of Jesus as king because they don't submit their lives to, their, to his kingdom. But here's the reality. You can experience the kingdom of God right now. 
I believe, I don't know why this has been in my mind, but there are people in here tonight with anxiety and depression and just, and just very mental health, emotional things. And guys, listen, I'm not downplaying those. I'm not saying those aren't real. Those are very real. But what I'm saying is in God's kingdom, he does not deny anxiety. He does not deny depression, but he just has peace that can step a little higher that might not make sense. His Holy Spirit can fill you again and it can fill you again. And if you feel like you've come in here for the hundredth time to depressed and anxious, the Holy Spirit can raise the bar to meet you where you're at and fill you with joy. And so tonight, if you're in here and you need to experience this reality of the kingdom of God, it's real. If you want to accept Jesus, not only as your savior, but as your king, I promise you, it will change everything about you. On the count of three, will you raise your hand? One, Jesus loves you. Two, do not walk out of here tonight if you feel like the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart to make a decision. God can meet you right where you are. Three, could you raise your hand? If you want to experience Jesus, not only as Savior, but as King. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Can you, can you clap for people that have just accepted God in their life? Young adults, as we close out the year, as we close out the decade, can we just go out guns blazing, worshiping the one and only perfect God who lived a sinless life and died for us? Can we give him all the praise, all the glory? Can we worship King Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. God, it is an honor tonight to worship you, not only as our savior, but to declare the good news that you're here and that you're king. So God, as we lift our voices, would it just be a sweet sound to you, God? Could we honor you? God, would you fill us with your presence? Would you fill us with your spirit? We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen.